This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. As part of an understanding with the European Commission for a new data transfer scheme, this is provisionally called the Data Privacy Framework, or DPF, and it's to replace Privacy Shield, and Privacy Shield was to replace Safe Harbor. And the common theme with both Safe Harbor and Privacy Shield is that they were. Uh... In this episode of Life with GDPR, Tom Fox and Jonathan Armstrong take up the recent U.S. response to the data transfer protection requirements negotiated with the EU over bringing. EU citizens' GDPR-protected data to the United States. Live with GDPR was recently honored with a W3 award for Best Podcast in Professional Services. Thanks to all our listeners. We're going to have a quick word from our sponsor, and then we'll be back with Life with GDPR. This is Tom Fox back again with Jonathan Armstrong for the now award-winning Life with GDPR. Yes, Life with GDPR was honored with a W3 award for best podcasting in personal services. So, Jonathan, with that moniker firmly implanted across our logo now, welcome back. Thanks, Tom, and thanks for all the hard work for the award. It is indeed an honor, as you say. So there was an article this weekend in the Wall Street Journal entitled New U.S. Privacy Protections Help Companies Struggling with Legal Limbo in Europe. And this is a part of an ongoing discussion we've had on this podcast regarding data privacy views in the U.S. and EU, the death of Privacy Shield, and an attempt to satisfy EU regulators with some type of U.S. response, which would allow U.S. companies to bring the data of EU citizens to the United States. Perhaps you could start off with what were some of the concerns that you saw or heard from the EU side and then maybe move to the U.S. response? Yeah, sure. I think probably the first thing to say is in data transfer terms, this is not the arrival of the 7th Cavalry. This is, at best, a promise that the 7th Cavalry could be seen on the horizon at some stage in 2023. Where we're at with this, just as a recap, is on Friday, the uh, President Biden signed an executive order of as part of an understanding with the European Commission for a new data transfer scheme. This is provisionally called the Data Privacy Framework, or DPF, and it's to replace Privacy Shield, and Privacy Shield was to replace Safe Harbor. And the common theme with both Safe Harbor and Privacy Shield is that they were uh, both intended to do the same thing as DPF, to be an opt-in scheme to allow organizations to transfer data from the EU to the US. 
And the other common thing about both of them is they were both struck down by the EJ, the European Court of Justice, after complaints were made by privacy activist Max Schrems. And in common with DPF, Privacy Shield sought to cure the ECJ's concerns about safe harbor by executive order. In that case, the executive order was signed by President Obama as one of his last acts. And one of the concerns was that President Trump didn't perhaps back the executive order as much as Obama had intended him to. So that complaint is always going to remain with any executive order that seeks to cure the perceived lack of US federal privacy legislation. And as a bit of history, Privacy Shield was struck down in July 2020. And effectively, that was because the ECJ decided that even corporations which had signed up to Privacy Shield did not ensure an adequate level of protection of data from the EU or on EU citizens. And it was more or less the same reasoning that had knocked out Safe Harbor in 2015. And as I say, both schemes were as a result of complaints brought by Max Schrems specifically against Facebook. So, DPF seeks to deal with some of the concerns raised by the ECJ, including by having an initial complaint mechanism for data transfer complaints to a new civil liberties protection officer. Now, Privacy Shield included an ombudsperson that people could complain to, and one of the complaints was that Trump was somewhat slow to appoint an ombudsperson. So this new civil liberties protection officer will replace that proposed ombudsperson. And in addition, there'll be a secondary new complaint mechanism to what's known as the Data Protection Review Court. Now, unfortunately, this review court isn't the same as what you and I might regard as a court. It isn't that independent from what it seems to be, it seems to be some sort of administrative tribunal. And it is not clear whether complainants will have the right to be heard in the DPRC or whether they can just say, I wish to appeal against the Civil Liberties Protection Officer and whether there'll be some sort of hearing or review of the papers by panelists in the DPRC. And it is proposed that there'll be some sort of advocate who will make representations to the court on behalf of EU nationals or UK nationals, because there's going to be a similar scheme with the UK, but no detail on that. And then there are two other things that are proposed. Improving safeguards to limit access to data by US intelligence authorities. They're going to be instructed only to review, quote, what is necessary and proportionate to protect national security. Again, no specifics given there. And then asking US intelligence agencies to review their policies and procedures to implement the DPC scheme. It's still going to be an opt-in scheme. So we can expect some major corporations to opt in to be part of the DPF scheme when it opens. 
But again, no details of timing yet. There's something of a process to be gone through now at an EU level. And I wouldn't anticipate the scheme being in place until at earliest, if you put a gun to my head, April, May 2023, I would have thought. There's obviously going to be some processes of said over here. First of all, the European Commission will have to draft an adequacy decision. They'll have to communicate that draft decision to the European Debt Protection Board, the EDPB, to the European Parliament, and to the Council of Ministers, effectively the representatives of each national uh, government. National governments could object, so Germany would be the most likely to object, I would say. The EDPB can issue a critical opinion, which the European Commission would not be bound to follow, but would be unwise to disregard, particularly if it's going to come before the court. And similarly, the European Parliament will want to have its say. Again, it's likely to issue some sort of opinion. Again, non-binding. But again, it's something that politically the European Commission are probably likely to want to try and accommodate. As I've said, not yet a done deal, despite what some of the press says. And no imminent hope, I think, for organisations. I don't expect that sign-up process to be available anytime. So, Jonathan, in another article in Compliance Week, cited to a blog post from the European Center for Digital Rights, where Mike Shrims is the honorary chairman, and the post itself is entitled, New U.S. Executive Order Unlikely to Satisfy EU Law, rather. And Max Shrims has quoted, quote, at first sight, it seems the core issues were not solved. It will be back to the CJEU sooner or later. I use that as an introduction to ask you, where do you think Max Schrems might stand on this and where he might take litigation or how he and his group might proceed going forward? I think they've said that they are reviewing the decision. I think they've said that there's a lack of detail on many of these proposals. Some of the issues that I've highlighted, they've raised as well. Just for listeners who aren't familiar, CGEU is the same as the ECJ. Different people call the same court different names. And my suspicion is that it will be challenged. If not through the Schrems pressure group, NOYB, then there are other candidates who brought cases in the past, Digital Rights Island, Out of Ireland, for example, La Quadrature du Net, a French pressure group have also challenged Privacy Shield. So almost certainly somebody will challenge uh, once it is a thing. But as I've said, some of those objections from the European Parliament or from the EDPB may slow it down. An objection from a national government could derail it altogether. Now, obviously, to state the obvious, politically, I think a challenge from a national government is less likely whilst ever the Russian conflict continues. I think it would be a brave national government that speaks out against national security issues in current times. That doesn't mean to say it won't happen. So I think the court challenge is very likely, but we're probably two, two and a half years away from that 
because, as I've said, I don't see the scheme being in place till, let's say, mid-2023. And then you're usually waiting about 18 months for a court hearing after the challenge goes in. Jonathan, could there be any possibility of a split between the EU and the UK over this issue so that if Max Rims or some other group might bring an, an action, the EU could rule one way, yet the United Kingdom could go a different direction? Because you, as we everyone knows, you guys are now separate. Yeah, I think that is a real possibility. The new trust administration, insofar as you can get any clarity from what their agenda is, seem to want to free up data transfer between the UK and the US. Michelle Donnellan on Friday, she's the new DCMS minister, so the minister who will who lead on this, also had discussions with the US authorities on Friday. There's likely to be a mirror scheme that looks and feels like DPF for UK transfers. And I think there is a very real possibility. Um, Donnellan says she's going to present that deal to the UK Parliament in early 2023. There is a real possibility that the UK deal gets done quicker than the EU deal. And if that is the case, then I think it could be a source of tension between the EU and the US. Obviously, the EU have an adequacy deal with the UK, but that is predicated on the UK maintaining similar standards to GDPR. So if you got to a situation where the UK had jumped the gun and done a deal with the US, but the EU authorities still had concerns about the same deal, that could also put in jeopardy the EU-UK deal, if that's not a too complicated a concept to follow. Jonathan, we've touched on national security a couple of times in this podcast, and so I'd like to move to perhaps a different level of speculation, but focused on national security. Last week, I visited with a, another lawyer for a podcast on something called CFIUS, which is the U.S. group that reviews acquisitions of U.S. companies by foreign officials. And there's some a new executive order around that. And there's something called an accepted foreign state. An accepted foreign state is a country similar or a country outside the United States, which has a rigorous review process similar to CFIUS. And the lawyer I spoke with said that countries want that because it obviously makes the process easier for their companies who want to buy U.S. companies. But it's tied into national security in a different way than I had thought. And he talked about it in terms of the Five Eyes countries of the United States, Canada, United Kingdom, Australia, and New Zealand, who have a general agreement that we won't spy on each other and will freely share information at the national security level. So, now we heard, and so last week I talked to him about acquisitions of U.S. companies, basic trade, and we had a discussion around national security. And he said Germany wants to become one of these accepted foreign states, but it's part of their program to join the Five Eyes group. And obviously the relationship between the United Kingdom and the United States is, has been called a special relationship since at least World War II. But... I'm and so we had to consider the national security issues 
in the context of data privacy and data protection with the United States, the United Kingdom, and the EU. And it seems to me that more traditional business issues are falling under this national security umbrella and that people like you and I are talking about this in ways perhaps even five years ago we never considered. Certainly 10 years ago, we didn't think about a national security issue around data transfer unless it was national security data. Do you see this national security issue in the type of practice you have and in more general data privacy, data protection issues as well? Yeah, I think whenever you're transferring data from the UK or the EU, national security is just becoming relevant because you're having to do this, we've talked about it before on these calls, double due diligence test post-SHREMS. That applies whether you're using DPF when it comes in or whether you're using standard contractual clauses, which are the most common mechanism at the moment. So whenever you transfer data somewhere, you're having to do due diligence on the organization that you transfer data to and the jurisdiction where they are based or where they're going to hold the data. And so nearly always you're looking at national security interests. This morning, we've been advising a client on assessing the powers of national security agencies in China. So you're going to have to do that analysis and either prove that the Chinese authorities won't intercept data and won't have the power to look at it, you know, in brackets and good luck with that, close brackets, or put in place some ways of uh, protecting that data if you still want to do the transfer. So data transfer issues are front and centre Now, whenever you're looking, so uh, national security issues are front and center, whenever you're looking at data transfer now, and it's indicative of how big an issue it is that one of Michelle Donnellan's announcements on Friday was that there was going to be an annual meeting between the US and the UK to look at that pace of technology, et cetera, and other issues. So there is now going to be this annual summit to look at these issues and concerns lie in future. So I think it's an indication, isn't it, that particularly in times of strife, security agencies are often, for the very right reasons, are very data-hungry and data-acquisitive. But what governments always have to realise is that the more acquisitive their security services are, the more likely that's to cause issues a recognition of adequacy of data transfer, et cetera, et cetera, particularly for those countries like the US that don't have federal law and rely on an executive order, almost like a presidential IOU or a presidential piggy promise to replace legislation that's been enacted by parliaments or Congress. Well, Jonathan, I often say... We may be visiting this issue again, but I have to say I have 100% certainty we will be visiting <laughs> this issue again. Until next time. Thank you, Tom. This is Tom Fox. Thank you for listening to this episode of Life with GDPR. We're going to link to the quarterly compliance client alert on this topic, so I hope you will check that out. The uh, link will be in the show notes. I'd like to tell you about two recent limited edition podcasts on the Compliance Podcast Network. The first one celebrated 100th anniversary of the publication of James Joyce's Ulysses. It's entitled Ulysses at 100, 
lessons for the 21st century compliance professional. The second is never the same. Why business has changed forever after the Russian invasion of Ukraine in five key areas, supply chain, sanctions, and a corruption as national security issue, cybersecurity, and ESG. You can check out both of these podcasts on the Compliance Podcast Network. The Ulysses series is under the podcast series, Greetings and Felicitations. This is Tom Fox. Thanks so much for joining us, and I hope you'll join Jonathan and I again where we take up another issue around GDPR. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.